Today we have the famous series of stories of um, husbands who go away from their wives for extended periods of time to learn Torah. And so how much, how long can someone go away to study Torah uh, with or without the permission of his wife? So we begin, so we're discussing the Mishnah that started with the Machloket Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai about the standard ona, is it one week or two weeks in the context of if a man makes a vow not to be with his wife, so then he has to, would have to divorce her with a ketubah, well how long can he make such a vow? Bet Hillel says only one week because the standard ona would be one week. Uh, we'll see that, that for a Tamit Chacham also, the standard ona is one week. Uh, but then it went on that said, if a student uh, does want to go and learn Torah for a longer period of time, he may go even without the permission of his wife for 30 days. So um, if he's home, then he would have to be uh, with, he would have to fulfill ona. Uh, each week, but if he's away, he's permitted to study Torah for 30 days. So we, uh, so the Gemara begins, says, Bershut Kama, um, if, what if they have permission? The, the Mishnah said, if they don't have permission, they're only 30 days. How about with permission? How long can they go for? Now, before we answer it, the Gemara asks itself a question. What do you mean? What kind of question is that? If you have permission, you can go as long as you want. As long as the husband and wife agree, then they can do whatever they want. Uh, uh, they can agree on, on any amount. Uh, if she's agreeable, then they're not. she's not going to demand a divorce. So, what are you asking exactly? We're asking is, what's the usual amount? What would be a normal, acceptable amount? A lot of, sometimes a husband can put pressure on his wife, you know, let me go longer, uh, and that would be above the average, above what everyone else, what everyone else is doing. So, that would be like undue pressure. But so, we're asking is, what would be a reasonable amount that he should ask and he, can, he should expect her to say okay? Rav says one month uh, here at home and one month away, sorry, one month there, study can meaning in the Bet Midrash, and one month at home. So he should alternate every other month, study, be, be away from his wife and the other month at home, which is... Um, uh, consistent with the, the Mishnah says he can go away without permission for one month only, but if he's going to go for uh, longer than that, then he can. He just has to spend, he just has to alternate, and he can go many months as long as he's home for a month in between. And how does he know that? From the Vidayamim, was talking about King David's army reserve units, uh, people would serve in them uh, for uh, one month for all the months of the year. Now, in the simple reading of this is that it's talking about one month out of the year. Uh, like today, in uh, modern Israelis have reserve duty one month out of the year. So too, in King David's army, they had to go and serve for one month out of the year. But Rav is interpreting it as Chodesh Be Chodesh every other month. So six months altogether, um, alternating during the year. That's Rav. Rabbi Yochanan says a little bit less. He can stay for one month here in the Bet Midrash and two months at home. So only one third of the time in the Bet Midrash should be all, and, and, and only four months out of the year. 
שנאמר חודש יהיו בלבנון שניים חודשים בביתו. We learn this from Sefer Melechim regarding King Shalomo when he was building the Bet HaMikdash. He would have construction workers, Israelites, that would go for one month up to Lebanon to go cut down the trees there and prepare them, and to, then they would go home for two months. Uh, so both of these, they're both doing important work, and nevertheless, they have to go home uh, for a certain amount of, uh, of time. So these are the two models. Now, how come Rav didn't learn from the Bet HaMikdash example and, uh, and say you have to be home for two months? For that, there was less pressure. Since there's a lot, other, other people can go and involve themselves in uh, working to construct the Bet HaMikdash. You didn't need everybody. So then there was more uh, more time that they could stay home. Uh, but regarding learning Torah, where everybody all has to go and learn Torah, there's not, everybody has an obligation. So then there's more pressure so they can go away for longer. Rabbi Yochanan, how come Rabbi Yochanan did not learn the source about King David's army that uh, they have to, they can go away for uh, more often every other month. And the answer is King David paid the people that came to come, that came to serve in the army, and therefore the wives were more willing to let them go. They said, "Okay, you're going to go. You're going to bring home a salary, provide for the family. Okay, you can go every other month." Whereas those going to learn Torah are not getting monetary profit, only spiritual profit, and so. Therefore, the uh, wives are not going to let them go for that uh, for every other month, but would want them to stay home every two months. So he felt uh, that uh, the source from King David was not as good a, uh, a source, and he preferred the one about King Shilomo, uh, so that they can go away less often. All right, Amarav, Anacha Shoberet Chasigufo Shel Adam. This is not related to the uh, same issue, but rather is another machloket between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan uh, about uh, interpretation of Pesukim. So Rav says that groaning, when someone is depressed, uh, that is sad, and groans because of it, that breaks half of the person's body. I guess they kind of double over in pain. Um, uh, this is Yechezkel, Hashem told Yechezkel, go, and uh, with the breaking of your loins, groan bitterly. He told him to go and uh, act uh, as if he's uh, groaning and uh, o- o- double over over his loins. So that's the middle of his body. So that's half of one's body. When someone is groaning out of pain or depression, then it breaks his entire body. This is the very next pasuk after the one before. Uh, so uh, after Yechezkel was told that he should groan and, uh, and, uh, and, and bend over at the loins, so the point is that he should do this public demonstration and everybody will see him. And they'll say, why are you doing that? And he will answer, Yechezkel will answer, because of the terrible news that is coming. And when this news comes, talking about the news of the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash, every heart will melt, all hands will be slack, every spirit shall be faint, all knees shall, shall drip with water. Which means that the, when the people hear about the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash, their entire bodies are going to break. And so here we have 
we see that um, uh, Rav is quoting the first pasuk where Yechazkel himself, only half of his body is breaking when he's demonstrating, whereas Rabbi Yochanan says a entire body breaks, um, and this is when Yechazkel describes to the people that their reaction, that what their reaction is going to be when they hear about the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. So, which is the whole body. Okay, now, what is Rabbi Yochanan going to do with the first pasuk that says only at the, at the loins, at the hips, only half the body? And Rav also, what is he, how is he going to interpret this pasuk that says the entire body of the people will be broken? So, De teki, de takifa tuba. Oh, so when we're talking about the destruction of the Beta Mikdash, then that is very strong, very crushing, and that's why in that second pasuk, um, the their entire body will be crushed. Now the truth is, uh, uh, Yechezkel also is actually being is the uh, um, model. He's also talking about the destruction of the Beta Mikdash. Tosafot and ask the question and say that it's not the same. Uh, well, he is only demonstrating uh, so that people will ask him, but he's not actually reacting to the Beta Mikdash. Was not destroyed yet. He's just He's just acting the way people will act. Uh, so that's not as bad when you're just projecting for the future than when it actually happens. Whereas in the second pasuk, he's describing how the people will actually act when they hear the destruction of the Mikdash, which is that their entire body is going to be destroyed. So in truth, there's, not, there's no contradiction between these two pasukim. It really just depends on um, how terrible something is if it's something that's so bad like the destruction of Beit HaMikdash and it's right after so after someone hears it then their entire body will be crushed whereas if it's either something that's not as bad as that or it's just something that you're um, predicting will happen in the future the anguish at those points is only half the body they had a Jew and a non-Jew walking together and the non-Jew couldn't keep up the Jew was walking much faster and stronger. So he wanted, the Nanju wanted to slow the Jew down. Remember, oh, remember the bet, the, your Bet HaMikdash was destroyed and that way he'll, he'll groan and sigh and his body will break. Uh, so he hopefully will slow down. And in fact, the uh, the Jew sighed and groaned. But he still kept walking fast and the Nanju still could not uh, well, could not uh, keep up with him. So an Anjou, he was apparently learned, and he knew this halacha, he knew this tradition that uh, when groans, that breaks half the body, he followed Rav, this Nanju. Uh, it breaks half the body, so your body should be broken, you should be going slower, weaker. No, that only applies to new uh, news. Uh, when the Beit HaMikdash was dust destroyed or someone here 
there's some tragedy uh, some tragedy that just happened but this uh, is something that happened a long time ago so yes while we'll still well, you are still sad and we still mourn and still sigh but it's not with the same intensity as one ba- as it was when we first heard it there's a common folk saying that says someone who's used to being bereaved uh, if a woman uh, loses many children then she does not panic she is not as anguished um, by uh, as uh, for the for the second third child as she is from the first she is already used to that kind of pain and so this uh, that explains his uh, why he was able to still walk fast even though he was sighing for the Beit HaMikdash all right back to the topic people of leisure they have their onas they have to be with their wives every day what does this word mean uh, these are the students that go to the lectures on a regular basis Pirke is a plural, plural of pirka, same as pirik. It means a section. So that would be um, a section of text, which is equivalent to the English lecture, which comes from a lectionary, a certain reading. Uh, so these pirka was the were the public uh, addresses, lectures that the rabbis would give. And so these are people that go and study Torah on a regular basis. That is what the tayalim are. According to Rava, they have they're studying Torah this is very intensive work they're going to be up early go stay late at night they're not going to have the time and the strength to be with their wives every night can't be talking about sages that are studying every day as you know that they have no time for this because the pasuk in Mishle, the peshat of the pasuk is those who go to work and wake up early and come back late and uh, eat the bread of toil, uh, they do that for naught uh, because they're putting in extra, extra hours, but ultimately it's up to God um, uh, what, uh, what, what uh, a person will uh, achieve and therefore uh, uh, God gives his beloved sleep. Okay, so that's the, the simple reading of it. Uh, but here we're reading it as those who wake up early and go to sleep late are Tamidech Chamim. Um, and the word shav here must mean something like it should be don't worry about it right it should be it should not be a big deal in your eyes to for uh, for a sage to wake up early and go to sleep late even though they are going to be uh, 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 tortured in this world because in the next world God will give them uh, sleep so it's good to wake up early stay uh, stay uh, stay up late in this world learning Torah uh, for the next world now for his friends is referring not to the sage himself but to his wife the wife would uh, wake up early and tend and uh, attend to him and stay up late and make the dinner and 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 uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and and uh, make sure that the husband had everything he needed so therefore she is the Yadid and she also because she is away is staying up 
uh, waking up early and going to sleep late and having little sleep uh, to support her husband learning Torah, she too will um, uh, will achieve Olam Haba, will achieve rest in Olam Haba. Okay, now the, the main thing here is not the wife, but rather the husband, since he is um, is, is uh, going out and studying so long, so they don't have enough strength or hours to, ha- to perform Onah every night. So Abaye says, Rava, what are you talking about? You say that st- people who go and study and uh, attend the lectures every day, they don't, that's not it. So rather, Abaye explains, it is talking about a certain type of sage or a, a person, any person, who is like Shemuel, Rabbi Shemuel Bar Shelat. He... Uh, there's a couple of interpretations. As the simple reading seems to me, he's, he, had, he was a person of means, and he's able to eat of his own and drink of his own and sleep in his own house. He didn't have to work for a living. Uh, but he was not, it was not apparent he was a man of means. He was very modest. Uh, and so he had a, a, enough to uh, live without having to work, and he didn't spend a lot. And so he didn't have to deal with the taxes and the government. And so he was a man of leisure. So anyone like that, would be would be fine. Now he himself was a was a sage, so maybe he was uh, uh, he he spent many too many hours at work. So we're not talking about him specifically, but anyone like him who is not learning Torah so much and has a, is leisure has has time and leisure, he would have to perform onah every day. So that's what Abayah is saying is refers to. Uh, others say that he was a school teacher. He was a rabbi, but he was a, a, a school teacher. And kids, you only teach them from during the daytime hours, not early in the morning, not late at night. And uh, so, you know, he made a, 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 a small sum, a salary, but that was enough. He lived modestly. That's why the tax collectors left him alone. And so either way, the point is that he is a person who has time and uh, resources and therefore, that's the kind of person we're talking about that can that can, should perform or not every day. Who came from Eretz Israel said is talking about the pampered people in Israel. Um, they're people who are very rich and they eat very well and they rest well, and so therefore they have great strength um, and uh, can perform ona every day. All right. Rabbi Abu Havaka'e Bebane. Now we're going to see a uh, couple of stories that show the great strength of these wealthy um, uh, people in Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Abu uh, was once in the bath, standing in the bathhouse. And he was being supported by two two servants. Uh, it would seem like Rabbi Abhu was uh, uh, older and weaker. That he has to be supported by two servants. Uh, but we here is a surprise. The floor of the bathhouse collapsed under him. Uh, so here we're, we're talking about a bathhouse like one that we found at Masada. Um, uh, you probably may have you may have been there and seen it, uh, but it was the same Roman bath that you find in lots of places. The construction is that they have a uh, uh, under under the floor they would have pillars holding up the floor, and the reason for this is that there would be very hot water flowing through this area under the floor, and that very hot water would heat up the 
the uh, the floor of the bathhouse so that when people stepped, they would step on a nice warm floor, and then that would also they would put a little water on the top on the on the on the floor above it, and then it would turn into steam, so you'd have a nice steam bath. Okay, so you can see how um, if it was not built so well or over time, one of these tiles can crack and a person would be would would fall down, uh, which actually would be quite dangerous because there was burning hot water underneath. So that is what happened. Um, um, but Rabbi Abhu was able to find a pillar and he stood on the pillar and he got out and the two servants that were holding him up, he, Rabbi Abhu, was able to pull them. He's, he's holding on uh, to a pillar with one hand, pulling them up with the other hand, balancing on top of the pillar, getting them off. So he had great strength. He's able to, able to do this. Um, so you see that Rabbi Abhu, he was one of these uh, uh, great, uh, um, uh, wealthy, well-fed uh, people, and so that's why he had such great strength. Rabbi Yochanan Avakasadik Bedarga, or a similar story, Rabbi Yochanan, famous Rabbi Yochanan, who, uh, who was going up the stairs, and, uh, and he was holding on, being supported by two of his students. And one of the stairs collapsed under him. And But he went up and he pulled them both with him. He was able to get to the next step, pull the servants and so that his students, so that they didn't fall. Wait, if he's so, if Rabbi Yochanan is so strong, why did he need the two others to uh, support him. Kim Ken said, "If I don't, if I if, if if I use my own strength, then what will I leave over for my old age?" In other words, like a battery person has a certain amount amount of strength, and so yes, he is very strong. But if he uh, uses it all up, then he will become weak when he's old. So therefore, he would uh, lean on his two students in order to save up his strength so he could live longer. But in an emergency, he was able to draw on that strength and save himself and save his two students. Um, okay, so this is um, uh, these are examples of Rabbi Abu and Rabbi Yochanan, who were the uh, well-fed people of Jerusalem, of Israel, and uh, they themselves, again, might not be the examples of Onah every day because they were Tamidah Chachamim. So presumably they may, may be, they would be uh, studying Torah for many, many hours. But the point is, those others who are not studying Torah uh, or early in the morning and late at night, but are pampered and have strength, would be uh, commanded, would be uh, responsible for Onah every day. Okay, now the Mishnah goes on and uh, and says that for regular workers, they have to perform ona twice a week. Hold on, we have a contradiction from a Baraita that says regular workers only once a week. It depends. If they are doing work in their own city, well then that means they're coming home every night. So they're around, they're available, so therefore twice a week. Whereas the Braita is talking about where they're going to a different city to do work. And so they have a lot of travel time, and maybe they're staying overnight over there so that they can save on the commuting, so they're not available, they don't have as much time, and therefore only once a week.
This answer that was given by the Biyosa Bribi Yechanina is also explicit in a Baraita, Pali Bishatayim Bishabbat, when the Mishnah says, this is a Tosefta commenting on the Mishnah, when the Mishnah says twice a week, what case is that talking about? Be'osin Melacha Be'ayra, that's only if they're in their city. But if their construction site is in this different city, uh, then only once a week. Hachamarim achat be'Shabbat. Donkey drivers, um, Mishnah said, is once a week because they go on uh, short trips for a couple of days at a time since they're just drive, uh, driving donkeys. So, but they're not home every day during the week. So now his question is uh, as follows. Since uh, the, uh, the Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel was talking about someone who is regularly supposed to do Ona more than once a week. That's why he said, if uh, someone makes a vow and says, uh, will not be with, 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 with his wife, he will not be with his wife, um, for one week, he has to divorce her. So Bet Hillel's uh, law would actually only apply to those who have an onah more than once a week, which would be tayalim every day and pa'alim twice a week. Whereas hamarim, uh, their onah is once a week anyway, and gamalim and sapanim are even more. So Bet Hillel's law would not apply to them. So that's uh, that's our question. Um, would uh, uh, Why doesn't how come in, in the beginning here it doesn't say that if if someone is a, a tayal or a day laborer, then the maximum vow he can do is up to a week, but not more. It doesn't say anything about that. So the way he's expressing it is, um, what the, does the Tana of our Mishnah uh, bother to tell us this law or only regarding tayal umpoel, and it only applies to them? How come he doesn't say so? Uh, explicitly that Betilel is only applying to those who usually have an ola, o, o, ona more than once a, more than once a week. So he responded, Abaye responded, actually it is referring to all of them. Everyone on, in the, uh, all, all people, all types of workers. Hold on. A sailor, he only has to do ona once every six months. So if he would make a vow and say, I'm not going to be with my wife for one week, for eight days, uh, one week or longer. So what would be the problem? He doesn't have to be home one, uh, uh, more than once every six months Anyway, he doesn't have to be with his wife. And the answer is, It's actually psychological. The saying is, it's if let's say if two people fasting, and so both of them are, are fasting equally, but one has a basket full of bread so that he knows well, as soon as his fast is over, he has, he has uh, bread there to eat. So he will have an easier time fasting. Whereas a person who is fasting just the same amount of time, but he also has no bread with him. And so even when the fast is over, he's going to have to go and find and look and uh, uh, get some bread. So then his psychologically, his fast is harder. Same thing here. Even though uh, this wife, her husband, does not need to come home if he's going on a long trip once for once every six months. Nevertheless, if there's no vow, then she says, well, maybe he'll come home early. Maybe he'll come home today. Maybe he'll come home right in a few days. And so psychologically, she knows it's possible that she will be with her husband at any point. So then she'll be able to wait. Whereas if he comes and makes a vow and says, I vow I'm not going to be with you for one week or two weeks, 
uh, then psychologically, is there, is that's like having an empty basket. Even if he does come home, they're prohibited. So even a sailor is not, the, the, the halacha betilel applies to everyone, even a sailor um, is not allowed, he is allowed to go away for work, but he cannot make a vow that he will not be with his wife for a week or more. What if someone is a donkey driver when they were married? Okay, so she knows he's going to be a donkey driver. He's not going to be home every night, but she's expecting once a week. And now he wants to change professions. He wants to become a camel driver. And now he's not going to be home uh, more than once in every, he doesn't have to be home more than once every 30 days. So she is going to um, have Ona less often. Is that permitted? Does he, can he do that without her permission? His answer is no, it's not allowed because a woman would prefer only one kav, a small amount of flour, a small amount of uh, uh, salary uh, and food and tiflut and have conjugal relations then have 10 kabin and be richer even if even changing professions is going to bring back bring in a bigger salary and but it will mean pity shoot that she'll have to be abstinent because her husband will, will be away she'd rather not have that right women are going to be less materialistic and more uh, uh, more desirous to be with their husbands. So we mentioned that sailors uh, was as once uh, once a month. Actually, the entire Mishnah uh, says at the end, We're understanding that now to mean that this is going on the entire uh, section, every everything, uh, all the all the different types of professions in the Mishnah. Are the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Amar Rabbeinu Amar Rab Halacha Rabbi Eliezer says that is the Halacha we follow this this Mishnah. Amar Rab Adar Bar Haba Amar Rab Zodi Bnei Rabbi Eliezer Rachamim Omrim Atamidim Yosim Latamut Torah Shetaim VeShalosh Shanim Shelo Bereshut. So regarding the sages specifically, uh, whereas Rabbi Eliezer says they can go away and study for three for thirty days. Um, but uh, Rav says that's only the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Hachamim disagreed, and the halacha would follow them that a, 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 a sage can go away for two or three years, even without the permission of his wife, and go and study Torah. Amarava, Samchura Banan Adrav Adab Arava, Rabde Obada Benafshaihu. So Rava said that there are many sages who followed the opinion of Rav Adab Arava. Who says that the Mishnah regarding thirty days is only opinion of Eliezer, but Chachamim allow for two and three years, and they perform this action themselves. And it was not only did they say the halachas you can do two or three years, but they even practiced what they preached and they went away. The word Benavshayu has a double meaning because it could also mean Bada, they did an act with their lives, with their nefesh. In other words, they endangered and sometimes even gave up their lives because they went away for two or three years. Why? What, how did that happen? Okay, the next two couple of stories will demonstrate. Um, uh, would study with Rava in Mechoza, where Rava lived. He came home once a year, which is actually well within the permitted bounds of two or three years. So he came off. He came home 
you know, even more than he had to. Well, but it's a funny day to come home. A Yom Kippur, they can't be together anyway. But anyway, he came He came before Yom Kippur. He would have Sudam Afseket with his family, and he would be with his wife and perform Ona once a year, before Kippur, after Kippur, and then he'd go back and uh, and, and go to study. Yom Ahad But one year, on end of Yom Kippur, he was engrossed in studying, and the studying pulled him, uh, and uh, he forgot to come home. Meanwhile, we shift cameras back home, and his wife was uh, was uh, expecting him. And she was saying, he's coming now, he's coming now, right? I'm sure any second now he will be home. She's looking out the window, waiting for him. But he never came. She became depressed and a tear fell from her eye. We pan back to the to the rabbi studying. He was uh, sitting on the roof. He was, I guess it was nice out and he was studying Torah on the roof. And the roof collapsed under him and he died. Because he forgot to come home, he, uh, a tear fell from her eye, so he fell from the roof. Uh, so point is that um, even though technically he was allowed to come home every two or three years, even without permission, but he set up an expectation that he's coming home every uh, once a year, every end of Yom Kippur, and he um, and he fell short of that expectation. And so therefore, uh, you know, even if the letter of the law uh, technically he was permitted to, but there's also the spirit of the law, there's also human feelings, and he um, that uh, he did not fulfill. Okay, the mishachte is like uh, uh, pulling on him. You know, as if he's uh, as if he's with uh, uh, another. Uh, as if the Torah is, he's, he desires the Torah. Um, in this case, as more than his wife, and so you see that even though there were sages that did it and followed this uh, this halacha, so technically it was allowed, but they did did so with their lives. Rav Rechume lost his life because of it. Okay, now we interrupt to uh, the series. We have a series of seven stories, but we interrupt it with one more halacha. What is the standard ona for a sage? Uh, every every Friday night, because it says. Uh, then Tehilim 1 when it says that brings forth its fruit in its season, at the time, meaning uh, when, uh, what does that mean? So these sages are, say this refers to someone who has relations every Friday night, that it will bear fruit, they'll have children, they'll have success. Okay, so this is the standard if the husband is home. If the sage is home, if he goes away, well, then it wouldn't be once a week. But how long is uh, is is a question, right? As that we saw different opinions. Okay, now we're ready with that background to see story number two. So Yehuda was the son of Rabbi Chaya. And the son-in-law of the Biyanai, so he's married to the Biyanai's daughter, and he went to study in the Bet Midrash. And he would come home every Friday evening. 
which in other words, he's following the letter of the law, with, you know, the, the regular law, not with permission, not without permission. He's following the full onah that even if he was home the whole time, that's what he would have to do. So Yuda looks like he's good, you know, uh, uh, taking care of his wife very nicely. When he would come, he you could he would be it would be an eye would see a pillar of fire, of fire preceding him. In other words, he has uh, he, his either his holiness or uh, a symbol of his desire of Yuda's desire for his wife that it looked like a pillar of fire coming in front of him. Okay, think of B'nai Israel in the desert, pillar of fire, and so on. But one Friday afternoon, Yehuda's learning pulled him away, and he was engrossed in his study, and he forgot to come home. So Rabbi who was looking out the window, uh, waiting for him to come, not interestingly, not the wife, but Rabbi Anai himself, as said, uh, he must be dead. Turn over the beds, right? That's what, when they were in mourning back then, they would have the custom of turn over the beds. So he says, Turn over his bed, because if he were alive, if Yudah were alive, he would not cancel, he would not miss the onah. He, my son-in-law is so diligent, uh, so responsible, that the only way he could not be here is if he had died. Um, now, in fact, he was not dead. He was just learning Torah. Uh, uh, but this is like, as Kohelet says, like an error that comes from a ruler. Sometimes if a king makes a decree, even if it's uh, off with his head or whatever he says, even if it's based on a mistake, but once he says it, it's enacted. And so too, you, um, the BNI, once he said that Yehuda is dead, he actually died. So it was not the cause of him not being uh, present, but it was the result of him missing the ona. Okay, in this case, interestingly, even though he came home once a week, more often, but still, it's about the expectation that one sets up, right? If you're going to be late, you better call home, uh, so that it's really about the wife's feelings that he did not take into account. Okay, third story. Rabbi Yasak Ledibre, Rabbi Haya, Rabbi Yudanasi arranged for his son to marry the Rabbi Chiyah's daughter. Um, they came together to, to negotiate and write the Ketubah, and this young girl died. So why did she die? The father of the, of the groom said, maybe there's something, some disqualification, something wrong with the, with the families, with the ancestry, and so from heaven prevented this marriage from taking place. So they took out the family trees and checked, and they found he came from the Davidic line, and he he was a descendant of um, David, King David's wife Avital, and his son Shephatya, all the way down to Rabbi Udanasi. Whereas Rabbi Chaya also was from very good lineage, but from Shimi, David's brother. So he was not David's descendant, but rather King David's nephew, uh, great, 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 great nephew, uh, which is not as good. And so even though he had good lineage, not as good as Rabbi Udanasi, so this marriage was destined not to happen. Okay, this story just uh, reflects the emphasis on lineage 
that was uh, often uh, common in the ancient world, especially in Persian society. So uh, now uh, that that marriage didn't work out, Rabbi goes and uh, marries off his son to the daughter of Rabbi Yoseh ben Zimra, who was a Kohen. So this was proper lineage. So while they're discussing the arrangement, they agreed that he's going to go study for 12 years. It might seem like a long time, but we're going to see this number come up often. Uh, 12 is also a number that means quite a lot. Others say it would be two years for each of the sedarim of Shas. Okay, but you need long, continuous time to go and study, right? Even if you have 12 years, but you live at home, it's not the same being interrupted all the time as going and having uninterrupted 12 years of study. He's going to be in the Bet Midrash. All right, so they're sitting there and they're still, you know, discussing the terms. And then the, the, the girl's family, they had her pass in front of him. You know, you know she brought in a tray of tea or something. And the they hadn't they didn't go out on dates before that um and so the uh the young the young man sees his future bride and he can't wait can we make it six years i can't wait 12 years to marry her so they say all right fine we'll make it six years then she passes by again she brings in you know uh um uh, brings in crackers and so he said to his father you know what how about we get married first and only then uh, I'll go to study Torah. I can't wait 12 years. They wanted to make the Kiddushin now. And then the, and 12 years later, he'll come and they'll do the, they'll actually get married. He says, I can't, I won't be able to wait that long. I want to get married now. And then I'll still go. And so the son was embarrassed from his father. Right, The father was uh, expecting his son to be a great sage and go and study for 12 years. Now he made it six years. Now he's going to get married first, not be uh, completely devoted and have his full attention on Torah. So uh, the son was embarrassed that he is showing his physical desire for uh, this his future wife more than Torah. The father, Rabbi said, Don't feel bad, my son. You are just like your Creator. Uh, where do we see that God also has, has feel similarly? And the beginning in, uh, uh, in Az Yashir, Hashem says, I will bring them into the land of Israel, and then I will plant them. In other words, Hashem's original intention was that they would um, uh, first enter into Eretz Yisrael and only then build a Bet HaMikdash. So building a Bet, building Bet HaMikdash, that's like a home that they build together, that would be equivalent to Nisuin. So first you have a journey and then build the Bet HaMikdash, actually get married. But did that what happened? No. And in the end, Hashem says, oh, I, I changed my mind. And you know what? Make me a Mikdash here, out in the desert. And I will dwell among you, and only then we will travel uh, on the way. So um, this is a resolving a contradiction between these two pesukim of the order of events. And so the, we resolve it by saying, originally, ideally, it would have been better to uh, first travel and then build a Bet Mikdash in Israel, but Hashem couldn't wait. He loved B'nai Israel so much, he couldn't wait to have a 
a place to dwell amongst them. And so he did that first. So too, the Rabbi Yudanasi's son was supposed to first uh, travel away and only then get married, but he loved his bride too much and so wanted to get married first. Good. Azil Yateb Terte So he went um, after his wedding and he studied for 12 years since he got married first. So he made it back to 12 instead of 6. But by the time he came back, sadly, his wife was not fertile anymore. Twelve years later. So the father of the groom, Rabbi, said, what should we do? Uh, I want my son to have children, so he's going to have to marry another. So should he divorce his wife? What will people say? This poor woman, she waited 12 years for nothing. She waited 12 years for him, and now he comes back and divorces her? Should he marry a second wife? And then what people will say? Oh, the second wife, the one that's bearing children, that's his wife. The other one is his zona. Um, his mistress, that's be demeaning for her, and that's not right either. So what do we do? So they pleaded for mercy, they prayed to God, and she was cured. So this has a happy ending. Um, and in this case, you know, this uh, this uh, uh, boy, uh, groom, he showed his he showed his his care and love for his wife. Um, uh, but the, the circumstances were such that he went to study Torah. And sometimes it's just inevitable. You wait so long, and it could be it could be negative. Um, but because he was thinking about her and does show his desire for her, so it ends up well. Okay, fourth story. So Rabbi Hananya ben Chachinai, remember his, his, his father's name is Chachinai, he uh, went to study in the Bet Midrah, he went to study for a long time, at the end of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai's wedding. Says, can't you wait for me and I will go to the Bet Midrash with you. Those wait till the Sheva Berachot, wait for a, couple, a few more days till we end all the Sheva Berachot. Uh, over the uh, over the course of the wedding celebrations that are the next nights, and I'll come with you. But Rabbi Chananya was anxious to go study and didn't wait for him. This shows something of his personality that he would um, he'd rather he was impatient and wanted to go study Torah and and rather than wait for a friend. And he went and studied for twelve years in the study hall. In the meantime, the city paths had changed, right? Different paths moved, different homes were built. He didn't recognize the, uh, the, the, the streets and the landmarks, and he didn't know how to get back to his own home. He was married also. And he didn't know how to get back home. So he sat on the bank of the river, you know, waiting to find someone who maybe would know where he lives. He heard someone calling, uh, people calling, saying, daughter of Chachinai. Now Chachinai, that's his father's name. Chachinai is the grandfather. This girl is his daughter, um, so that's uh, the uh, she's. They're calling him by uh, the daughter of the grandfather, presumably because Rabbi Chanina was absent. I mean, he got married and uh, he had a child, and maybe when the child was an infant, he left, 
And so now they're coming back and she's 12 years old, right? Makes sense. This is called her, calls her Rebita, a young girl. And so since the father wasn't around, so she, she was brought up by the grandfather. So they're calling her Bet Bat Chachinai, right? Go and fill up your, your pitcher and let's go. So Rabbi Hananiah sitting there says, oh, I can conclude that this girl is ours, meaning it's his daughter. I like how he's using halachic terminology, like after a long you know, uh, uh, proof from different pesukim, we say Shema Mina. So here he's he's so engrossed in his study, he's still thinking even of the regular world as a kind of sugya, as, as he comes to the logical conclusion. QED, this is my daughter. Azal batra havak yetiba debituka nahala kimha. So he followed her to, she's going home. So he followed her to find his house. His wife was sitting and uh, sifting flour. Dalena chazite, she lifted her eyes from sifting and sees him, Rabbi Chanina. Saveli ba parachrucha. Her heart understood her, she, her, took a second for her mind to realize that it's, it's her husband who surprised her after 12 years of being away and she, her, her soul left her. She fainted, she died. From surprise. So Rabbi Hanina, Hananya, uh, prayed and said, uh, This poor woman, that she waited so long, this is her this is her reward that she died now. So he prayed and she came back to life. Okay, another positive story. Um, uh, so, uh, because he went, he went with permission and, uh, you know, she didn't do anything to deserve that. So it uh, ends on a happy note. Um, uh, if you could point out here, this, uh, the, the series of seven, uh, comes in pairs of two. I'll just show the first, uh, the first four so far that we read. Um, you see the similar language, uh, the first two, he comes on a regular basis, either once a year of a Yom Kippur, but he messed up and didn't come one time and she, and he dies in the end. The same in the, sec- in the second story. Here he came, he was supposed to come every week, but his learning pulled him and he died at the end. So the first two are about sages that even though they're coming relatively often, more often than 12 years, one every one year, every one week, but they miss the expectation. So psychologically, it's still worse. And the husband dies in both these cases. And that's the end of the story. So these are the most negative cases. The next two is... Um, they're not violating an expectation. They said we're going away for 12 years, and so they go away for 12 years. So even though it's longer, but they're doing it uh, in a proper way, and they feel bad about their wives when they come home, when they come home and their wife either is barren or their wife died. And so in both of these cases, they pray, and the wife gets better. So these are, well, they're better cases. Uh, I don't know if we would learn from them, can you pray for a miracle that would happen every time? So these are warning cases. They have a better outcome, but I may not be able to rely on these precedents. On these precedents, because not everyone is going to have the merit to um, be revived. Okay, and from there we go to the f- fifth story. Um, uh, Rabbi went and uh, studied for 12 years like the others he learned his lesson ah when I come back I'm not going to surprise my wife like Ben Chachinai did and she passed out from surprise I'm going to come home 
and uh, tell my wife gently that I'm home. So So he didn't come straight to his home. He went to the Bet Midrash first. Uh, it's a nice transition point from the faraway Bet Midrash to the local Bet Midrash before he goes home. And he sent a messenger to his house to say that he's back in town. While he's waiting in the Bet, Bet Midrash, uh, Rabbi Oshaya, Rabbi Hamas' son, comes, Yatev Kameh, and he's sitting before him. Uh, and he didn't recognize that this is his son because he went away for 12 years, so now the son is, you know, might be uh, 13, 14 uh, years old. And Rabbi uh, Oshaya is asking questions about halacha. He's sitting before him, Rabbi Hamas an elder sage, and so Rabbi Oshaya is, look, Oshaya is looking up to him and uh, asking him questions, learning from him. Rabbi Chama saw this young student is very sharp. Rabbi Chama got depressed. If only I was home, I could have sat and taught my son, and I would have a son that's impressive like this, Rabbi Oshaya. Again, not knowing that actually that was his son who was taught by somebody else, his grandfather. So in the end, Rabbi Chama, right after the messenger went there, he went to his home. So uh, he went to his house and the son was with him. Rabbi Chama, when he saw his own son, Rabbi Oshaya, walk in, Rabbi Chama, the father, stood up for Rabbi Oshaya, because he studied with him, he didn't know. He still didn't know his son. This is the kid that was <laughs> uh, that was with him in the Bet Midrash. So Rabbi Chama walks in first. He sits down, and then uh, a minute later, Rabbi Oshaya was was following. Walks in. Rabbi Chama stands up for this Torah sage, even though he's much younger. But he showed his acumen. So he stands up for form. So Rabbi Chama said, Oh, I guess he followed me here because he wants to discuss more Torah with me. And so that's why he came in. So he's just standing up to greet him. But the wife looks, looks, looks at this and says, Does a father ever stand up for a son? It doesn't make any sense. It, may, it, it would make sense if... Uh, the student was coming to learn, so he wants to come and greet him, or because he, he treats him as a, a sage in himself, in of himself, and wants to stand up. But knowing that's his son, a father doesn't stand up for his son, so the wife is surprised. So this is a very happy ending. That sure enough, he was depressed that he went away for so long and didn't teach his son. He could have had a son like this, but turns out it was his son. And the reason why everything turned out well is because his grandfather taught him So Rabbi Bar Chama said about them that a threefold cord will not be quickly broken. If you have a rope that's made of three-ply, it'll be very strong. And this refers to when you have three generations of sages. This is Rabbi Oshaya, the son, the son of Rabbi Chama, who's the son of Bisa. So because they had Torah in their family, and even though, or because Rabbi Chama went away 
for a long time to study in that merit the the son was also able to become a Torah scholar in his own right and so here everything worked out well and uh, one that seems the reason is because Rabbi Chama is very sensitive to his wife even though yeah he went away for 12 years but with permission they they uh, agreed to this beforehand and you see his sensitivity in saying I'm not going to do what Rabbi Chanina did but I'm going to come home and uh, and send a messenger send the Bet Midrash make sure that my wife will um, will be okay. So because of his uh, understanding and sensitivity, um, that's why this story ends well. Uh, we'll continue with the sixth and seventh story on the next half. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.